May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Amen. Interesting quote that's from Psalm 19. Just wanted to point that out. I'm using a psalm piece in my sermon this morning. I do it every Sunday that I preach, but that's okay. I've struggled with this sermon a lot. And many times when I struggle, I look for resources that make sense to me instead of leading me to paths of other confusion and discord. And I want to share with you, this is an ad for St. John's Church Ross in our website. Because you can click on that website. Underneath one of the upper bars, it says sermons and readings. There's a little gold seal on the page that comes up. And you click on that, and it says readings. And I did. And I was much relieved after looking at many different ways of approaching this sermon this Sunday. It says the third Sunday in Lent, year B, and that's helpful because it's actually the right year. It says revised common lectionary. Exodus 20, 1 through 17, which we did not read this morning, but that is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, a, a bit of concern by the early Israelites that all of a sudden they had laws to follow. Then Psalm 19, and then 1 Corinthians, the passage about Paul just recent. Then John 2, 13 through 22, the gospel lesson just read to you. Then there's a reflection on all of that, which really helps give everyone a chance to look at the scripture from the point of view of input. You know, we have in our Sunday school imagining. And this wonderful reflection gives you a chance to imagine yourself in the context of these passages for the Sunday. Then there's a prayer starter, which is open-ended and gives us a chance to allow our own spiritual growth and meditation become part of our response to the readings. It's right there. Everyone has access. I just want to share with you that this is usually where I usually try to begin. I didn't make that, I did make a mistake this time and tried looking at other resources and other ways of looking at this. Then I came back to this particular resource, and I was struck by two responses in their reference and reflection. There's two things. It says, this really pertains pretty much to the St. First Corinthians letter. And listen to this closely, because I want you to ponder this as I'm saying it. In what weakness have I found God's power? What personal weakness do I have when I faced into that weakness, I found God's power? The other one is, in what folly... Have I found God's wisdom? 
Now, Paul's quite clear in his passage. He says, let me start. I'm going to go back further. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. And I like the emphasis, dumb. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and Greeks. And foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. This is important for us to recognize. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I found that I was particularly moved by this particular passage and these particular questions because there were times when I actually looked at my own weaknesses with a sense of honesty without denying them or without trying to assuade them or make them look better to other people, but I could actually see my weakness for what it was. And of course, the biggest weakness I had was my inability to stop drinking. Because drinking to me anesthetized me in such a way that I was able to deal with anything. I was using alcohol as a way of denying my interaction with other people, sort of marginalizing all of the stuff in front of me. And it wasn't until I faced the weakness head on. And by the way, some counselor told me, I said something, I might have a problem with drinking. And they looked at me and said, you better take that seriously. But I went back and I suddenly realized that I could not continue to drink. So I stopped. Now, here's the interesting part. In my to-do file was a book right on top. The title of it was, I Will Quit Tomorrow. It had been there for two and a half years. <laughs> you see, my inbox is one that has a sense of permanency. But when I started my recovery, I had to face all of the demons that I didn't want to face at all. And they were my doing, not somebody else's. When I drank, I could blame it on anyone. When I was drunk, I didn't have to worry about anything. But when I was in recovery, suddenly I had to own into the fact that it was my weaknesses that I was trying to avoid. And they were inhibiting me from having any kind of spiritual relationship with God. Because I knew better than God. I was wiser than God. My wisdom was foolishness, as Paul points out. Because it was coming to grips with my drinking and what it did for me and what it did to me, that suddenly it opened up a whole new way of looking at life. Frightening, scary, overwhelming, all of those things are pouring through my head. Fortunately, I had a great priest who was my spiritual advisor working me through the steps. And I went with such 
almost indignation to 12-step programs because they needed it. I wasn't sure I did. And I'll never forget, one of the programs did this thing where they had a, a theme that they would present in the beginning. And then we'd go around the room, and of the 35 of us, all of us would share how we connected to that particular theme. Well, the first time I was there, they picked a theme that didn't even apply to me. Not at all. About the third person speaking, I kept saying, would you quit stealing my show? Because they were saying the exact kinds of things that I was hiding. And it was frightening to me that all of a sudden, these themes were really very intrusive into my spiritual life. But it was in through recovery and recognizing that I wasn't, number one, in charge, that God was. And that also that I had to turn over myself to trust in God in such a way that I lost all power and control. Now, that was not an easy thing for me. Because I had given myself the false idea that I was truly wise and insightful. The next experience that helped me to understand the second part, which is, in what folly have I found God's wisdom? In my recovery, I decided to try something else on, and I became a clown. I studied, I worked, I went to a conference, was trained by a friend of mine who'd been a clown for a number of years, met other clowns, and suddenly began to open myself up to my own foolishness. And with my recovery, I was owning the fact that I was into denial so much that I could cover up a lot of things, and I was really in control, when I opened myself up to my own foolishness, then I had no cover. And when I came out of seminary, you see, I was trained very well as a priest. I knew how to do the liturgy perfect. No problems. I knew exactly how to do it. And I was stiff as a board, and my sermons were boring as you know. But it wasn't until I played the nature of the clown, allowed myself to play with the liturgy, to play with my own life, to play with all of those things that I took so seriously. Now, remember at St. Stephen's Chapel at Ohio State University, I was doing a clown service and I had it all set up and I was really stoked because this is going to be really great. Nothing ever happens to me when I'm in charge of course. And then the power on the tape player that I'd used 10 minutes before the service didn't work. And here I am naked in front of all these people without my props and without my music. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? Unfortunately, I'd learned improv enough so that I wouldn't looked like I was shaking too much and tears weren't coming down my eyes, too obviously. But in Columbus, Ohio, I turned and looked at the St. Stephen's altar and on the front was a big alpha and on the other side, omega. I thought, whoa, here we go. So I went and crouched over like a seed 
and started to give myself some motion to become growing and so forth and came over to the Omega and was alive and then collapsed. <coughs> some woman sitting in the front pew goes, oh my God. That's the beginning and the end. And it's been on my altar all this time. But I was playing with it. I was looking for a space to fill. And I played into something that was very important to her. It wasn't something that I designed to impact her, but it was something I was looking to avoid my embarrassment until they fixed the computer, the tape player. And I found that more and more as I improved and as I played with all of the things that I took seriously in my life, that all of a sudden I was opening up a whole new way of looking at my own world. One of the things that really stuck to me was a friend of mine from seminary and college. We had known each other, well, now it's almost 52 years. He became a bishop, but he helped me to get a job in Florida where I learned to clown. And he had a church in Clearwater, Florida, and he'd invite me up twice a year to preach. Well, at this time, you have to remember, I was still fairly stiff, even though I went to the College of Preachers to help learn how to preach better, I was still stiff. When I started the clowning, all of a sudden, things began to change in my life. And what I noticed and what really empowered me is Phil came up to me after I celebrated the service in his church, and he said, Skip, what has come over you? And being a you know, future bishop, so what do you mean, what's come over me? He said, well, he said, you are so graceful at the altar, it's like you are expressing what the words were saying. And I've never seen that in you before. And I said, well, the only thing I can relate to is being a clown and trying to immobilize people to feel the Eucharist, I had to feel it myself. And the more I became in grips with what the Eucharist is really about, not in words, but in actions and connections, I said it gave me some freedom to be a little bit more expressive. He said, a little more expressive? He said, I was moved by your change. We still kibitz back and forth because I always thought it was kind of him to say that to me. Matter of fact, I went to his consecration and there were 12 of us and Sheila was there and we all made sure that he knew that he couldn't become pompous overnight because we, would, we knew who he was <laughs> and we remind him. And in our foolishness with him, there was a special, special relationship. And I still meet annually with my seminary classmates who give me strength and hope because it's the one place where I can be totally, truly honest about my misgivings of faith, my spirituality and problems. And we share it in such a way that we renew our faith and generously open ourselves. But the key here, and particularly with this group, and if you can, you can ask Sheila to attest to this, we laugh about really crazy things so that we can begin to work through them and understand where God's wisdom is. And it's very much what is said in the, the 
the reflection, in what, fo in what folly have I found God's wisdom? And the more I open myself to my own foibles and folly, my own misgivings, I find God's wisdom a part of my world again. So as a recovering alcoholic and a clown, I've opened myself to be more responsive and more accepting and hopefully a little bit better priest. But I want you to consider this and I want you to think about these things this week as a Lenten discipline. Hear clearly in what, in what weakness have I found God's power. Be honest with yourself and what are your weaknesses and how has God been there to give you power? And secondly, in what folly have I found God's wisdom? Open yourself to foolishness and see God alive in your life and powerful. Amen.